So I just wanted to read you the four verses um, which I recited when I got ordained for my ordination ceremony. In harmony with friends and brethren, I accept this ordination. With loyalty to my teachers, I accept this ordination. For the attainment of enlightenment, I accept this ordination. For the benefit of all beings, I accept this ordination. Some quite lofty ideals there. But it was the fourth one which, uh, in some ways, I come back to time and time again for the benefit of all beings. It seems to um, resonate for me very strongly. Yeah, it struck a deep chord uh, when I got ordained. I mean, it was a fantastic day, my public ordination day. It was probably one of the highlights or happiest days. I've, I've got photographs of me and I'm like a Cheshire cat. I can't understand, you know. I can't remember smiling so much, but I've got loads of pictures to show that. It seems to be part of what seems to touch on the myth of mind to help others uh, for the benefit of all beings. So why did I think of this series? Well, I suppose because it feels close to my heart. And it's probably a while maybe since we've touched on this series there's six parameters, and maybe we don't know much about them at all, and I just thought it'd be great to explore them, it'd be interesting to look at them. Uh, they're sort of fantastic qualities. When I was a, a Mitra studying, I loved the Bodhisattva ideal. That was my favourite series. It, it, uh, again, it talks about these uh, six parameters in depth. So what are these six parameters? Well, before we jump ahead... Um, I just want to sort of set the scene a little bit more, really. I'll simply say that they're the path of the perfections. That's what they are, the path of the perfections, which the Bodhisattva practices. So what is a Bodhisattva? Okay. Bodhi is knowledge. Uh, Knowledge in the sense of um, deep understanding, reality, seeing through things, the truth and sattva simply is living being. Okay? So you could say that um, a bodhisattva is an enlightenment being. A being whose whole life is dedicated to the attainment of enlightenment. Tuning in. <laughs> so the, the bodhisattva ideal is the Buddhist ideal. In maybe this is a, a big thing to say, but this is what this Buddhist center is about: is to help people move towards insight, move towards enlightenment, whatever that may mean for each of us, from unenlightened to enlightened. Uh, it could be growth, it could be change, it, it could be development. You've got your own language, you've got your own approach, you've got your own quest. We all have our own quest. So the Bodhisattva strives for enlightenment, but it's not for himself or herself. It's for the benefit of all beings. Okay, so the two are starting to tie together, aren't they, a little bit? So that sort of sets the scene very simply. And I felt that my talk, this talk now, falls into sort of three areas, three sort of um, broad areas, with lots of strands. So you'll have to forgive me and go with the strands, but I didn't want to say ramble. So we've got plenty of strands. But anyway, first of all, I just thought 
uh, dana, generosity, the first of the paramitas. The first area is it's simple. I wanted to sort of look at how simple it is. The second area is called self and other. And the third sort of broad area is the arising of the bodhicitta. Okay? So it's simple, self and other, and the arising of the bodhicitta. So this evening, uh, I want to look at those three. And then, to entice you back after the tea break, I want us to, all of us, to look at your reasons for being generous. Your reasons for um, acting out of a generous spirit. Okay? Uh, I'm probably going to give my age away a little bit here. But do you remember Ian Jury in The Blockheads? Yeah? And he did this song called, didn't he? Reasons to be cheerful. I would like us to find reasons to be generous. Reasons to practice dharma. And then I'm going to split us into groups. You know, only groups of four or five. Give us 10 or 15 minutes. And you come up with, hopefully we can come up with all sorts of reasons to be generous. And I'd like to write them up. Not for any particular reason. It's not going to go in the newsletter. It's just to... Um, well, it's just to explore that, to share that together, to experience one another and maybe what our ideas are. They may overlap. They may just all be the same. But I'm sure some of them will be quite different. And I'm going to lay out some of the reasons why I think generosity is important. Uh, well, why it is, obviously, uh, one of the paramitas, a really important aspect of the Bodhisattva's training. Okay. So, we come, come up with a definitive list, maybe. Then the evening finishes. And then, um, as Jutika said, and thank you for the, um, the uh, whatever, introduction to me, uh, we've got uh, six, five other evenings, five other evenings, and I've got four other speakers plus myself. Uh, and I'll just say who they are now so we can sort of start off, and this will, um, again, hopefully get you coming along to all six of them, all five of them from now on. Uh, so uh, the next talk will be on ethics, which is going to be Vajramudita. The talk after that is on Kishanti, patience, uh, which will be by Suryaka. Then Marshada is going to bring some of his energy, his virya, his vigor, to a talk. Uh, then there's me talking about meditation. And finally, Vidyamala is going to talk to us about prajna, wisdom. Okay? Some fine evenings there, I'm sure. Okay, so let's begin. Let's begin the evening with uh, something from Bhante. Giving is the natural, unforced interchange of one's energy with that of others. In this sense, real giving is receiving. And this was from a seminar on the precious garland. I thought that's a very good place to start. Real giving is receiving. Because sometimes we think that we just give and we give and... Um, where is it going to and what's it all about? But I think, you know, if we can dispel that idea, then generosity can become so much part of what we do in a much more sort of natural way. And I'll sort of let's explore that a little bit now. Okay. So here's some of the strands I'm just moving around on the top. Okay. So let's start with the first area, the area of it's simple. Okay. So generosity, dana, it's simple. So why is it simple? Well, in some ways, it's the most basic thing that we can do to be generous, isn't it? But I think also it can be one of the most profound things that we do. The more we practice generosity, it can really 
it can really be a, a strong part of our practice, our Buddhist practice. I also think it's amazingly pragmatic. It's really practical. It's, it's part of our daily life to give of yourself. Um, simple, simple examples would be to smile at the bus driver, to say hello to the cashier in Tesco's, who's probably having a really tough day, and to even just to say hello, how's your day going? It might mean all the difference to them. Um, I think when we're feeling grumpy, even when we're feeling grumpy, we can still smile. So we can give of ourselves. We can um, you know, communicate with somebody else. Uh, when I went to India, I've been to India a few times now, um, generosity dana is very much part of the culture there, uh, particularly in the Buddhist sort of um, circle arena. Of course, I was there traveling with um, a bunch of people from the Manchester Buddhist Centre. It was a pilgrimage. And we, everywhere we went, we were so well looked after. You, you just felt that they just gave you their time 100%. You know, they just gave, them, gave themselves to you. They looked after you 100%. We went loads of places and we were fed so much. It's like, oh, no, not another meal. It was, you know, it was wonderful. Um, yes, it was wonderful. Um, I'm sure I lost a, well, put a few pounds on. But it was, it was more that feeling of that they just really gave of themselves to look after you. And it's very much, as I say, part of the culture there. I think a lot less so here. Although I think we're getting a lot better. So when, we, when Indians come to this country and they come to this centre, we try to make a big fuss of them because they make a huge fuss of us when we go over there. And particularly, I mean, in the monasteries and what have you, there's always um, a culture of bringing food in, leaving things leaving gifts uh, you know, on the shrine, that sort of thing. In fact, we have some Indian people who do come here and will leave gifts at the centre. So these just all little sort of, just some little um, aspects of generosity. Uh, I looked up in the dictionary what generosity means. Um, it was the Collins Dictionary. So the dictionary definition had three areas. <coughs> So there's a willing and, lib willing and liberal in giving away one's money and time. Okay. Hence our little appeal. Abundant, <laughs> abundant treasures. But I'll say more about it later. No, no, I just couldn't, um, couldn't miss the opportunity. But what interested me more was um, the definition of generosity was free from pettiness in character and mind. I love that. Free from pettiness in character and mind. What a great way to strive forward, actually. Uh, and then full or plentiful. So those two ones I, I particularly liked, actually. So it sort of fits in very much with, I think, moving uh, as, a, as a sort of practice, really, because we can become so petty, we just get caught up so much in all the small, small matter. So coming back to the centre, um, this wonderful, beautiful, big Buddhist centre that... that uh, we support, I support, you support. Um, it's our generosity, it's your generosity that uh, helps this centre keep going. And this centre is here for the public to come along to. It offers lots of classes. It offers calm. I just could list them off. Oasis, friendship, food, ethical food, joy, meaning, context to grow, alive, sharing, sangha, 
There are so many things that this centre offers. In fact, I did a meditation day here on Saturday and I handed out some evaluation forms because we, we're just trying to find out how people find out about the Buddhist centre and what the day's like and can we improve on these days. And I just wanted to... There's just three and four little uh, small sentences from just somebody on Saturday who'd come along for the first time. And what to this person said was, meeting lots of lovely people, space for myself, uh, the practical sessions. We did lots of mindfulness of breathing and some walking meditation, especially the walking, she said. And being the message, very calm environment and a good teacher. Oh, I don't know about that, but... Um, being the message of a very calm environment. So just little things like that. This centre um, offers so much to so many people. You may not know, but the charity's main objective you know, in our constitution is to advance the Buddhist religion. I suppose that's very obvious. We may know that, we may not. But I just thought I'd share that with you. But we have a mission statement which sort of comes along with that. And the mission statement for the Manchester Buddhist Centre is to develop kindness, awareness and insight in Manchester by communicating the Dharma and developing Sangha in the footsteps of the Buddha. Okay. So, communicating the Dharma, developing Sangha. Hopefully, we're going to um, communicate insight in some way. We're going to develop kindness and awareness. Another thought I had about Dharma is that when we first come along to the Buddhist center and you hear this new word, you know, Sanskrit word, dana, well, what does it mean, generosity? And uh, some, you know, somebody at the front like me is saying, it's a really important practice, you know, get into it, sort of um, try it out. And you might, as a newcomer, you might think, well, that's a bit straightforward, isn't it? It's a bit boring even. But I, I just wanted to sort of say that you know, it is very profound and it can take us a long way. I think what we sometimes want is these esoteric practices uh, which will help us to spiritually grow. And dana is not an esoteric practice. Well, I just think it's a very important practice. Okay. I don't want to miss anything. Um, yeah, just one other thought about simplicity of, gener of uh, generosity. I was recently on a solitary in Wales and for the sort of second week I'd, I had um, lots of feelings of gratitude and appreciation for uh, people who have been important in my life. And I think generosity is about when you are given something that you need um, and it's given freely to you that you feel gratitude and gratitude is such a positive emotion. And in my solitary, uh, the chap who ordained me, a guy called Surata, he came to mind very strongly. And then my public preceptor, Padma Vajra, he came to mind very strongly. And then Bhante did. You know, Bhante is the, the founder of the movement and he sits on the shrine there. Um, I just appreciated what they've done for me in my life. I am where I'm at because of these people. And also many, many other people, many friends. But... Uh, there were times when I felt such a lot of joy and bliss because I felt such appreciation for what these people had given to my life. And they continue to do that for people that I know, like guys who go down to uh, Padmaloka and train at Padmaloka. They're still, um, Padmavraj is still teaching, you know, he's a very good speaker. He's just alive with the Dharma, he just oozes out of his fingertips really. And I just, I wrote him a letter to say how much I'd appreciated um, him 
being around for me. And he sent me an email a couple of days ago to say how lovely it was to be appreciated. So I think that's another aspect of um, generosity. Shantideva has got many things to say about um, self and other, about generosity in some ways. And I, I just wanted to sort of say a few things about Shantideva. It's from, uh, he's written the Bodhicharya Avatara. And uh, this might be a bit of a long-winded thing to try and even pronounce. But it is the guide to the Buddhist path to awakening. Full of, well, it's, it's beautifully written. It's an 8th century monk who wrote this. And it is about the Buddhist awakening. Uh, beautiful verses. It's well worth a look at, well worth dipping into. Oops. And one verse which he said, which I thought just fitted into, if I can find it now, into this part of, a, of my talk. One should speak of others' virtues in their absence and repeat them with pleasure. And when one's own praise is spoken, one should reflect on that person's recognition of virtue. I think he just says things so succinctly and so beautifully, actually, in the Bodhicharya Avatara. And we'll keep going back to some of the verses of the Bodhicharya Avatara throughout my talk. Okay, so that's my, I think, my take on some of, some of the simplicity of dharma. So let's move on to self and other. Okay. So when we become more generous, when we really want to try and practice it, when we really want to um, embody it, I think we start to break this, um, we start to soften this view that there's me and there's you, there's self and other. Do you see what I mean? There's a sort of a, a strongly held view that I'm this sort of unit and you're over there and we're quite separate. And I think generosity is a way, it's a bridge of breaking that particular way of thinking, that particular way of behaving. Uh, you're, probably, you're probably all familiar with the Metabhavna and you know, the sort of far-reaching implications of the Metabhavna in that it's a practice about um, putting our, in some ways, um, putting someone else's shoes on and empathising or getting in touch with the other, broadening out our sense of other beings. So, uh, the Metabhavana is about developing love, um, love and kindness to others. Uh, and in its highest form, it's, it's con unconditional, unconditional love. And uh, when we develop unconditional love, that love, when it comes in contact with suffering, becomes compassion. Yeah? And compassion, in a traditional Buddhist way, is let's get it right here, is the most spiritual of emotions. So this emotion, karana, compassion, uh, is characterised by all the Buddhas and all the Bodhisattvas. Certain Bodhisattvas embody compassion particularly. And you may have heard of the Bodhisattva called Avalokiteshvara. If you look in the Vajra Hall, there's a tanker on the wall of Avalokiteshvara, or there used to be anyway. And Avalokiteshvara has 11 heads and a thousand arms. So those 11 heads are there looking out into all the directions of space to help. And those thousand arms are there to help as well. So the altruistic um, 
dimension or aspect of uh, this Bodhisattva is very obvious in that image. And symbolically, the order, the Western Buddhist order, which I'm a member of the Western Buddhist order, has Avalokiteshvara as, a, well, you know, as a, a sort of representative of it, in that we would like to be a force for good in the world as much as we can. So we practice generosity. This idea of self and other is softened. We stop thinking of things as ours so much. And if we can do that, if we can sort of just break that down a little bit, we can actually feel quite a release. You know, we still feel a bit bonded sometimes that we're just these sort of separate units when in fact there's much more of a connection between us than uh, we sort of tend to think there is. And to break that down can sort of really release and we can feel quite joyous and quite blissful. And again, Shantideva has a few things to say, so I just wanted to read a couple of verses from uh, the Bodhicharya Avatara again. So this, this verse comes from the section, Perfection of Meditative Absorption. If I give, what shall I enjoy? Such concerns for one's own welfare is fiendish. If I enjoy, what shall I give? Such concerns for the welfare of others is divine. I thought that summed it very nicely. And then, finally, another one. When happiness is linked, sorry, when happiness is liked by me and others equally, what is so special about me that I strive after happiness only for myself? And it's something that when uh, I'm teaching the Metavarvana, it's about well, what is it basically deep down that we all want? We all want to be happy. I think it's a, a human sort of need. And uh, I think Shantideva puts it very well there. Happiness is liked by me and others equally. What is so special about me that I strive after happiness only for myself? Okay. So, as we practice generosity, this is spiritual growth. I know it sounds basic, it maybe sounds a bit too easy. You know, is that all there is to it? Well, in some ways, yes, that is all there is to it. Put ourselves behind it fully. Um, it's such a good place to start. Uh, going back to what I said before about coming along to the centre and wanting these esoteric practices. Well... In Buddhism, there's the path of regular steps and the path of irregular steps. And sometimes the path of irregular steps can really work for us. But I'm speaking personally very much here. The path of regular steps was very much my way into uh, a Buddhist life, in a sense. And generosity is a great starting place. So when I first came along to the centre, I was inspired by Buddhist ideals. In fact, it was wisdom that I really wanted to... Um, get into my life actually and meditation was one way to sort of do that in a way that it's it's quite it is introspective but I remember my mum um, was quite critical of me actually for quite some time she used to say all I used to do was navel gaze you know sitting on your own in your, in your meditation you just you're just doing it for yourself um, why don't you get out into the world, she said. She would sort of see these, see these supruns, you know, um, done by Hare Krishna or other groups. And she said, why aren't you doing that? 
well, I kept coming back to the fact that there wasn't that many of us, and uh, um, we're going to get round to it one day. Okay. Interestingly enough, my mum doesn't say that these days to me because she knows that I'm involved in co-running carers' retreats, taking away carers and weekend events. Uh, I've taught meditation for the bank, the CIS. I've done well-being days for the CIS. Uh, I've been teaching meditation at um, a hospital for mental illness, uh, patients who have mental health problems. So she knows now that I do more outreach work and that seems to satisfy her need that I'm doing more work in the world. And I think, yeah, the more we can do, the more outreach work we can do, the better. But it does come down to resources. But for many of us, you know, just wanted to get back on the, uh, the thread there, for many of us, meditation is the first and a really crucial step in that we get to know ourselves. And it's really important that we get to know ourselves first. Um, you know, to bring the Dharma into the world as potentially you know, the, the greatest gift that we can offer, the greatest gift that there is, because the Dharma can lead us to complete realization, to complete liberation to enlightenment, you know, if we want to look at it on this huge, huge scale. Isn't it important to know ourselves first because we have to know ourselves and we have to know how to communicate the Dharma effectively. So we must know it to give it. I think meditation is a very good starting place. So you get in, obviously you sort of, you can see in here, uh, Buddhism has a, a wing of compassion and a wing of uh, wisdom. And the two wings have to be there you know, to work together. So we're sort of looking at the compassionate aspect of it here. But meditation obviously fits into the camp of um, the wisdom aspect also. So this reminded me uh, of a pilgrimage um, in 1999, the first time I went to India with Moksha Priya. And I, because it was just the two of us, we got involved in a lot of the social work that happened in India. Um, I was there for seven or eight weeks. And I was just so um, impressed by the social work, so impressed by what they did with their Buddhist lives. It inspired me. The Mitras and the order members worked for the benefit of others so much. You know, you've got uh, nurseries, you've got many, many projects across a broad range working with the, the poorest people in India. This strong effect really um, hit home when I got back to the UK. And about, I think probably three weeks later, I asked to join the order. I was inspired so much by the work. I just wanted to, I suppose, embody more and more of the fact that I felt I was a Buddhist and this was something that I may be able to do in my own way. And I, um, I asked to join the order in January of 2000. Actually, that's not true then, because I got, I got, I got ordained in 1999. So, um, it, was nice. it was 1995. In 96, I asked to join the order. Thank you. Phew, I am awake. So, how do, we give the, how do we give the Dharma? I've just already mentioned this beautiful big centre. Here, public centre for people to come and um, uh, be part of. You know, there's many, many activities that go on. And I've sort of mentioned many of them already. Retreats, talks like this. So it's here for people to come and bask in. You know, people say it's an oasis. They walk through the door. It brings calmness instantly, straight away to them. So our support, our generosity 
you know, keeps this center going. So the Manchester Buddhist Center has been, um, uh, is here because of many people's generosity. And I just reflected a little bit that it was 1979 that Ratnaguna, one of the people who first moved to Manchester uh, to set up um, the movement here, to set up the FWBL in Manchester. So, mm, 1979, yeah? So where are we now? 2007. Okay, get me maths right. In a couple of years, it'll be 30 years that he has been in, well, the FWBO has been in Manchester. So I have him to thank, but many people in between then, Suvadra, Mokshapriya, these are good friends of mine. And as Jutik said at the beginning, I came along in 1982. And uh, I think Mike Slattery is the only other chap who's been coming along longer than myself. Mark Shredder as well, I met him at a class. You know, we used to go down to the pub together afterwards and talk about stuff. Yeah. So... All given the Dharma. Um, and I think many more of us in here, we share the Dharma when we're out at work, when we're uh, going about our daily business, at home, our ordinary lives. We transmit the Dharma in some way or other. We, the Sangha, more diverse than ever, really. I think the Sangha is brilliant in that it is becoming more and more diverse. Take the Dharma out, transmit it to the world. And we don't know what effect we have. We really don't. We can't tell. We don't know what effect we have. Sometimes we can, fair enough, but I think there are many times we just don't know the effect that we can have. So there are many, many courses I've led at the centre here. And you start a six-week course, 40 people pile in the room, brilliant. Three weeks later, 20 people in the room. One week later, people. I think the worst one, no, I shouldn't say the worst, the one with the least people on at the end was like three or four. I'm thinking, where are they all gone? Why? Anyway, not to be put off by that. It's, it's like even if there's just two people in the room, it's not a waste of time. I mean, many, many times, somebody's come back and they said, I did a course with you two years ago. Two years ago and they've come back. Brilliant. It had an effect. Whatever dropped in has had an effect. As I said, I'm doing these meditation sessions, the taster sessions at uh, Victoria Park Day Centre. It's a centre for people who've had mental health problems. And it's just an hour every Wednesday afternoon. And some afternoons, the talking, the snoring, the fidgeting, the moving up and down, they leave the room. But I just carry on going through the meditation. We just carry on doing the mindfulness of breathing or the body scan. And there's two or three regulars who come back and it does seem to be having an effect. So I just have to, I just have to sort of go with that. You know, for some it doesn't work, for others it does. Priyavadita had a blue Mohican when some people first came along to the centre. He was the first meditation teacher. And people go, ooh, look at that. Anyway, he is a very, um, very good teacher. And also Paul Jones, who used to work in a cafe, he told me, just before he left, he said he was very impressed by my confidence. As that, that was what made him come back. That was what made him get involved. And it's just little stories like that that you think, whatever it is that I transmit, whatever it is that I think that you transmit, has an effect on others around us. And a small act of dharma has an effect. Many small acts of dharma have an effect. And it grows. And this, this growth of the bodhicitta in the world. So... What is the bodhicitta? And I move into the 
final part. So the arising of the bodhicitta. This is quite short, actually. Um, Okay. So, quite simply put, it's the will to enlightenment. But it's not an individual will. It's not your will, it's not my will. Okay, it's much bigger than that. It's something quite transcendental, it's quite cosmic, quite universal. Um, And the bodhicitta has traditionally two aspects to it. There's four vows, uh, the vow aspect, which Bodhisattva has, four vows, which I'll read them in a moment. And then, quite sort of weirdly, it says an establishment aspect as well. So there's a vow aspect and an establishment aspect. I'm not so sure about the language there. Anyway, the Bodhisattva vows are expressions of the life of a Bodhisattva. As I say, I'll, I'll read those in a moment. The establishment aspect is the six paramitas. It's the training and the three pairs of opposites. So we're looking at tonight generosity. Then there's uprightness. So there's generosity or giving and uprightness, ethics. There's patience and energy, um, kushanti and virya, and meditation and wisdom. So these are the six training principles, a train, training, training of perfection for the bodhisattva. All pairs are, all pairs are balanced in the bodhisattva, in the bodhisattva's life. So for those for whom the bodhicitta arises, they become bodhisattvas. And as I said, I'll just read you the four vows. Okay. So according to the Buddhist tradition, one gives expression to this experience in the form of the four great vows of the Bodhisattva. Firstly, the Bodhisattva vows that he will deliver all beings from difficulties. This means difficulties not only of a spiritual nature, but, but even of a mundane nature. Secondly, he vows that he will destroy within his own mind and, through his advice, within the minds of other living beings, all spiritual defilements. Thirdly, he vows that he will learn the Dharma in all its aspects, practice it, realize it, and teach it to others. And fourthly, he vows that in all possible ways, he will help to lead all beings in the direction of unsurpassed, perfect enlightenment. So as you can see, far-reaching implications. Okay. So, coming down a little bit from the lofty words and ideals of the Bodhisattva and the arising of the Bodhicitta, getting back to where we started from and not forgetting dana. I hope you can sort of see the links that dana can take us an awful long way. Um, our generosity is an expression of how we see things. So, in that way, what I'm saying is uh, we see self and other. We can go beyond that break that view, that sort of model that we seem to live our lives by to overcome this um, dichotomy of subject and object that all things are connected our practice is simple acts of dana which we intensify through our which we can intensify through our practices of meditation through our practices of ethics and patience through energy, virya through dharma study and reflection through sangha through friendship, through puja, through working together, 
through so many things. The bodhicitta will grow and thrive in the world. And just wanted to finish with a few verses from a puja, which I, I particularly liked. Now these verses are uh, sort of aimed at or come from the order from the WBO, the Western Buddhist order. So maybe in some ways you might not be able to connect this so strongly with that. But I thought, well, the verses are so lovely. And as, a, as an order member, I sort of would like to aspire to them. And maybe some of these verses might make you want to aspire to them as well, as a, as a member of the Sangha, as a Mitra, as a friend, you know, in your Buddhist life. And with that, I'll uh, finish. So these come from a puja called the Refuge Puja, which was written by a chap called Sabuti. Through our faith and practice, through our study and reflection, through our love and friendship, through our work and effort, may we burst the bonds of self. May we attain the non-dual mind. May all my brothers and sisters attain that glorious state so we live in harmony's perfection. May the bodhicitta arise within our order, within our sangha. May we together become the bodhisattva, a transcendental power loose in the world, wisdom and compassion unleashed, incarnate in us. May our work be for the good of all. May all benefit from what we do by the Bodhisattva's play, manifesting through our order, may all beings worship the Buddhas, may all practice the Dharma, may all join the Sangha, may all the limitless beings in the vastness of space and time reach perfect Buddhahood. Thank you.